brave and jumping in. Well, we uh, come in our study of the Gospel of John in the upper room to John chapter 14. I'd like to read to you uh, back from the beginning of the chapter, and I'll read uh, through verse 11. But I would like to pause today and uh, consider especially with you just verse 6, as I'll be explaining the reasons why. But taking it then in context, hear now the word of the Lord from John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? The passage for today, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe for the sake of the works themselves. Let us pray together. Father, having not seen such works, we nevertheless bless you for such words, such words of comfort, of power, of assurance, and of truth. We pray that you would inscribe these words upon every hearts, believer and unbeliever alike, that we truly may come to you, be reconciled to you, that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. For this is eternal life, gracious Father. Amen. Our English word gospel is just the old word in English for good news, good spell, good news, and no other religion has good news that we have uh, to proclaim as its message to the world. That is to say, no other human philosophy that I'm aware of can be described, much less trumpeted from the rooftops, as good news. No other philosophy makes such a claim. No other worldview or religion is the announcement of surprising, wonderful, life-changing good news. But we bring good news Wonderful news, news to be spread, news to be believed, news to lift the heart of the most discouraged and downhearted of people. 
And the news that Christians proclaim to the world is not about an idea or a system of ethics or a philosophy. The good news is a person, a man who came from heaven to open the way of life eternal. The words that he has given us here in verse 6 summarize this good news. They summarize it as well as any in the book. And let me just unpack them for you. Jesus says at the beginning, I am. And sixth of Jesus' seven I am statements in the book. In other words, this is a very unusual, emphatic I am, which doesn't translate that well into English, frankly, but does translate well into other languages like Espanol, right? Uh, to be able to say, yo soy. You wouldn't usually say, yo soy. Yo means I, and soy, I am. So it's awkward to say, I, I am, right? Um, you wouldn't say that unless you were translating this passage from the Old Testament. When God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses asked the question, look, when I go back to the children of Israel, and they ask me, who is it that has spoken to you? What shall I say? God replied, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's a very unusual phrase. Uh, well, it's a unique phrase in the Hebrew as well as unusual in most other languages. Sorry, it doesn't work that well in English, but Jesus uses this special I am seven times in the book at critical points to say that he is the Lord from heaven, God incarnate. I am Jehovah, the one whom Moses met. And only God incarnate would make this next claim I am the way, the truth, and the life. I read this week about a missionary who hired a guide to lead him across the open desert. And to his astonishment, when they arrived at the desert, the missionary saw before him just open sands. There was no footprint or road of any kind. And in little anxiety, he asks the guide, where is the road? The man replied, I am the road. Well, in the same way, Jesus is the way to heaven. He does not point the way, or as a guiding light, he is the way. He does not just teach us the truth of God. He is the truth of God. He does not explain or model an abundant life merely. He is the life that we share. Thomas Akempis, um, many centuries ago, wrote a classic book called The Imitation of Christ, and he has this justly famous passage. It's pretty short. I'll give it to you. Follow me, he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, the life for which you must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, true life, life blessed, life uncreated. If you remain in my way, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, and you will lay hold of eternal life. That is the wonderful meaning of these confident words of Jesus. 
Now, I suppose every religion has its tenets that must be believed. Uh, certainly, Islam requires faith in the claims of Muhammad. Hinduism requires faith in the authority of the Vedas. Buddhism requires faith in the wisdom of the Buddha. I suppose even atheists have a kind of faith, uh, for example, in Charles Darwin, that he has explained everything from the very formation of DNA to the most advanced sonar of the dolphins. I mean, everybody believes something, Buddha's teaching of the way of resignation and detachment, or Hinduism's monism of being, or Mohammed's five pillars, or even Darwin's assertion that all life is a big accident, that this is what you must believe. But the faith that we proclaim, you see, is really nothing like that at all. In all those cases I've just mentioned, faith is confidence in the teaching, in the philosophy, in the theory, that those very same convictions or philosophies or theories, they might have just as well been taught by others. In fact, in in some cases, they were taught by others. And if the religion or philosophy were taught by someone else, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't change a thing. It's the teaching that counts. But you see, that's completely different with us. Not so with us. Jesus is the good news, you see. He doesn't merely teach a system of thought and ethics and philosophy or give an origin to life. Although that is, of course, in him as well. Chapter 1, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made, and him was life. Well, the point is, Jesus was a teacher, to be sure. The greatest teacher that ever was. But all that was only great because of who he is and what he did. That what we are telling people to believe is in him. God's entrance into the world as a man, a man of perfect goodness who lived a sinless life and was willing to undergo the cruelest death at the hands of his own rebellious creatures in order precisely to release them from their sins and atone for them and to reconcile them to God. And he rose to a new and everlasting life to conquer sin and death on our behalf. And now he calls the world to share in his own everlasting life. I mean, that is good news. Buddha never said, Mohammed never dared to say, Charles Darwin would never think to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. That would be completely out of place in any other religion and philosophy. And that is why Jesus alone is able to say such a thing because of who he is. And somebody will say, okay, but how is that good news now? How is that life and death and resurrection from so many millennia ago Good news to me in the 21st century. Well, the reason is precisely because what's found here. Jesus is not some ancient individual. We are talking about God who has become man, and now in Jesus remains God and man, that he is as much savior of the world today as he was when he hung on the cross and came out of the tomb. He lives. He continues his great work of salvation that began all those long years ago, and he completes it in the world in his due time. These words, you see, are 
triumphant words. They are the answer to, to Thomas's question, but they're the answer to all of our deepest needs. We need a way. We need truth. We need life. We need to go back to our Father in heaven. These, these words as originally given, you see, are not words of argument or controversy. They are spoken by the Lord to assure his anxious disciples on the night before he would be crucified as he tells them he's going away, that their troubled hearts have nothing to fear. These are the brave, confident answer to our every longing. But however reluctant I am to break this sacred moment in the upper room, where it's just Jesus and his disciples comforting their hearts, I feel that I have to, as it were, open the door and let the world rush in at this moment. Because you know that these great words, these triumphant words, are now words that are the most contentious, that are the most offensive to modern ears. And I would like us, therefore, to pause, to break that spell, if you like, of the upper room for long enough for us to consider this passage under two headings. Words that offend and words that reconcile. Words that offend and words that reconcile. It's words like these that have led for people to call the Bible hate speech, to call for it to be banned. These words are regarded as hate speech in many countries today. I mean, let's face it, Jesus would be banned on Twitter in a heartbeat. Of course, the world will gladly extend to Jesus Christ the right to use the indefinite article. In other words, nobody would be upset if Jesus were to say, I am a way, a truth, a life. But because of that little definite article, the, what a difference it makes. Because of that word, he was crucified. Because of that word, we are going to face considerable difficulties in the days ahead. Our world is very suspicious, if not outright hostile, to anyone who says, I am right and everyone else is wrong. Now, I think that's perfectly understandable for many reasons. I mean, let's face it, our world is complicated and getting more complicated and harder and harder for us even to get, much less to understand the whole truth. Other people have perspectives that we don't have. Knowledge is fluid. It's progressing. I mean, frankly, scientific studies that are published today are overturned tomorrow by further research. The world, in addition, is full of fakes and frauds and false advertising and con artists. And it's very important for everyone to be suspicious these days. I hope you're very suspicious. But our world has gone far beyond suspicion. Adopting a popular philosophy, which is called postmodernism, postmodernism, that people today say, you have your truth, and I have my truth. What's true for you may not be true for me, because truth is something that people decide on, you see. There's no real and 
absolute truth. Truth is a kind of agreement that people have, which can change. So one thing that people should never say today is that others are wrong. They have their lived experience truth. And to say that they are wrong is, well, frankly, to oppress, to marginalize them. And that is the great sin of our day. Everyone's viewpoint is true for them. Now, I will say this is a pretty dumb philosophy. If somebody tells you what's true for you isn't true for me, you could say, is, is that true for me? And people say, there's no absolute truth. You say, absolutely true? Is that absolutely none? In a thousand ways, the philosophy eats itself and destroys the mind of the one who holds it. But people, nevertheless, are insistent in saying, well, we all have our own truth. You have your truth, and I have my truth. And the one thing we must never say is that anyone is wrong. That postmodern philosophy took a big jolt forward on September the 11th, 2001, after a certain terrorist attack, you remember. And people said that atrocities like this are caused not by some Muslimist extremist, but by people who believe that they and they alone have the truth, capital T, capital T, and they want to impose it on everyone else. And we need to get rid of that if we are going to have a world of peace and coexistence and tolerance, which everyone's bumper sticker proclaims. This has been embraced now at the highest levels of society and culture and has led to a profound change which most of us have witnessed in our lifetime. Not that it was so great before, frankly, but you know, in the, in the old days, moderns, people who believed in modernism, moderns were proud, confident, certain, white coats that told the truth and were believed. Postmoderns are marked by despair, suspicion, confusion. But the point today is, what will happen to the claims of Christ like this when it comes into a postmodern environment like ours? A very important question, one that you children will understand from a whole different perspective than we have who have watched it happen. It will be to you the water in which you swim, the air you breathe. And I feel like it's very important for you, especially, to understand what is going on, what has happened, mostly in my lifetime. Um, for example, just before I was born, the Second Vatican Council met from 1962 to 1965, in which the Roman Catholic Church declared in ecumenical council with the approval of the Pope, that is to say, in a way that is both infallible and irreformable, the following, quote, there are those who, without any fault, do not know anything about Christ or his church, yet who search for God with a sincere heart. That's the most important thing these days, sincerity. A sincere heart, and under the influence of grace, try to put into effect the will of God, as known to them, through the dictate of conscience, these two can obtain eternal salvation. The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator in the first place among them, 
are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham and together with us. They adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge, on the last day. Uh, This is the largest uh, denomination of Christians in the world. I will point out that about half of the Protestant church is right there with them, not picking on anyone in particular. I'm going, uh, it goes on, to, the Lumen Gentium goes on to say some very affirming things about other religions as well, the plan of salvation including them, and really all who try sincerely. A few years ago, a Southern Baptist uh, convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, asked the members to pray for the conversion of Israel to their Messiah. And they sent out some literature to their members telling people about the Jewish religion, about the Jewish people, but by all accounts, very irenic, very factual and peaceful. But the literature said they needed to be converted, and that was the great offense. Not that they had said something wrong about the Jews. They didn't. But uh, here's one article. Major Jewish organizations and liberal Christian groups have accused the Baptists of, quote, spiritual intolerance and, quote, theological genocide. Think about that, theological genocide. Abraham Foxman, national director for the Anti-Defamation League, accused the Southern Baptists of projecting, quote, a spiritual narrowness that invites theological hatred. Rabbi James Rudin of the American Jewish Committee has called efforts to evangelize Jews spiritual annihilation, saying, quote, it is pure arrogance for any religion to assume that they hold the truth. Uh, That's one of the leading Jewish rabbis in America heading, heading a certain council. I'm not trying to pick on any religion in particular. What I'm saying is, in our environment, across the board, this is what people have come to. In the next year, by the way, the Southern Baptist Convention encouraged their members to pray for the conversion of the Hindus. They weren't picking on the Jews or anybody else. They, they, they sent out some similar literature saying similar things about the Hindu people, where they live, how they could pray for them and for their conversion. Six members of the U.S. House of Representatives wrote to the Southern Baptist Convention questioning their right to evangelize Hindus. And they said, quote, we do not take issue with your right to pray. However, your evangelism goes beyond the bounds of decorum, tact, respect, and understanding. We cannot understand how men and women raised and educated in the world's bastion of religious freedom and tolerance can characterize another religion as spiritually dark and false. How could any American say that any religion is false? Well, these are some big things going on in the higher echelons. Um, I will say this week, I was happy to see that the 5K run at the university is on again this year to commemorate the students killed on April 16th. I hope some of my kids will be 
running with me. But after the race, if we like, we can go over to the chapel where they have announced a multi-faith service is going to be held. Um, and uh, you know how it goes. Such services, of course, have been held at the National Cathedral, attended by the highest officials in America, including George W. Bush. So I, I try to hit anybody on either side of the aisle, any particular religion. What I'm saying is religion, especially in our postmodern world, has come to this officially across the board. And we need to recognize that in our world, these words of Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, they sound terrible. They sound offensive. Really, so much of what Jesus said is just fine. But these words are bad news. And people will complain, this is the great problem in our world today. And, and we have to ask ourselves the question, at some point, you know, when the discussion comes up in class or at work or with a neighbor, should I even mention this? Should I not say anything about this? Should I downplay or soft pedal this? Maybe I shouldn't start on such a negative, unpleasant note. Maybe we could hide it and reveal it later. Maybe we can bring people to faith in Christ. And then maybe a year or so later, we can have an advanced class here at the church for those who are properly initiated. And we can say, by, by the way, there's something we haven't mentioned to you. Jesus says, I am <clears throat> the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. Now, shh, 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 Maybe we should ignore these words. Leads us to our second point. Words that reconcile. Words that offend, it's true. Words that reconcile, that is Jesus' point, if you notice. Then I will start with you. That what happens with you, not only for the rest of your life, but for eternity, depends on how you react to these words. Thousands of Christians have been murdered for these words, but untold millions are now joyfully in heaven because of them. Now, I, I won't be killed for saying them today, I hope. But I have prayed that some of you today will meet me in my Father's house because you received them. That's the power. That's the punch. That is the result of receiving these words. And let me also first point out that it was Jesus, after all, who said these words, 
And no man ever loved others like Jesus did. No man wanted to see them especially have eternal life as he did. He came into the world, he said, to seek and to save that which is lost. You remember how he wept over Jerusalem, how angry he was at those who were hard of heart. No man ever spent himself or gave himself more to secure the eternal life and salvation of men than did Jesus Christ. And it is he who tells us that no man comes to the Father but through him. Let me also point out that as soon as you get rid of these words and try to have Christianity without them, you have left yourself with no Christian message at all. And I tell you that Christ's ethic of love, his command of compassion, his example of self-sacrifice will mean absolutely nothing and accomplish absolutely nothing in the next generation unless people are convinced that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Furthermore, the Bible says throughout that he came from heaven to become man precisely to rescue men from sin and death and to reconcile them to his father. Nothing less than this, nothing short of the incarnation and the death of the Son of God on the cross was sufficient to raise rebellious human beings to eternal life with him. Had there been any remedy short, which he prayed for, by the way, had there been any remedy short of a terrible humiliation and suffering and murder, of himself on the cross, it would have been done in answer to his own prayer, but there was none. Only Jesus, therefore, could do what had to be done in this moral or immoral world that God created. And therefore, in the book of Acts that we're reading through on Sunday morning, you could see that this is the main thrust. Practically every chapter in this multicultural, pluralistic world that we read about in their day, in the ancient world in which Everyone believed something, and the politicians believed nothing except that religion was useful. Someone is being urged to turn from their sin and idolatry to the living and true God in the name of Jesus and to be saved to eternal life. This is exactly what they had to contend with in the ancient world. Paul later repeats this point. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. Or... He's just getting that, of course, from what we read over and over again in the Hebrew Bible. As God says through Isaiah, Turn to me and be saved, all you winds of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That is to say, the exclusive words of Jesus are not at all unusual. It's what we must expect. You'll find the same truth on the first page of the Bible in a different form. That is to say, you know, in way back in Moses' time, there were all kinds of religions that had all kinds of stories about the creation of the world and all kinds of gods that were associated with the earth and the moon and the stars and everything else. The Egyptians, the Hittites, the Mesopotamians, they all had their own deal. And the very first chapter of the Bible is a devastating attack on the, all those religions. God made the earth. God made the sun. God made the moon. God made the stars. It's not raw or anything else. That's false. And the first commandment that God therefore gave to his people is, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm God. You don't get another one. God has entered the world in saving power. This God, 
This God who has made it possible for men and women to be rescued and delivered from the judgment to come and to be restored and renewed and to be reconciled to the Father. Give me your sin, he says. Give it to me. I will pay what you owe and raise you up. He brings salvation, not just heaven one day. He totally changes the hearts and lives of even tax collectors and harlots and the worst of men. He spent so much time with those people, he was called the friend of sinners. And at his, at his birth, the angel announced the good news. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins, from their sins. Jehovah saved, saves Yehoshua or Yeshua or Jesus. Paul, likewise, in his letter to the Romans, says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he argues, well, how shall they call on him? in whom they've not believed. How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you see the inexorable logic, which I'm trying to take you from the beginning to the end, that this is the the good news. John Stott uh, commented on... Paul's six verbs, he says, you put them in opposite order. You, you, get, you get the way that this message comes. Christ sends heralds, heralds preach, people hear, hearers believe. Believers call, and those who call are saved. Whoever calls on the Lord Jesus will be saved. And that is why, brothers and sisters, these offensive words must be spoken, because this is the good news. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, if you, after the service, come up to a bunch of us and you say, hey, can you help me get to Walmart? And, and somebody says, yeah, you can go down here and get on 460 East, uh, head toward Roanoke, hit, hit 81 uh, take it for a couple hundred miles there, you're going you're gonna to get to the Christiansburg Walmart. And somebody says, no, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. No, you take 460 West, head toward Parisburg, you go for a few miles, you get off there, and then you'll get to the Christiansburg Wal- Walmart, and, and, and maybe you say, you guys, um, look, just, just go here, take a left, ha- ha- follow the road around the bend, just take a left at the third light. It's, it's right there, right at the, you'll turn to the parking lot we would say, what kind, of, what kind of intolerant person are you? You think you have the way? And that our way is wrong? What kind? You wouldn't say that. You would say, of course, what am I thinking? Uh, it's, it's not intolerant. It's, it's not, it should not be offensive. I realize that it is. I don't mean to make light of it. But just to show you how foolish it is for people to object to someone who tells you clearly, uh, truly the way. Or to change the idea, you can go to a doctor and you might hear a diagnosis that you don't like. The doctor may say, you have a serious illness. You need certain medicine to save your life. And you might not want to hear that diagnosis. It might make you angry or sad, but that's beside the point, isn't it? You wouldn't be appalled and offended. You wouldn't say, doctor, how dare you be so narrow-minded as to imply that I am sick. What kind of doctor are you? No, the whole issue is, is the doctor's diagnosis true? 
if it's true, I'm going to have to face up to it. I'm going to have to try to deal somehow with it. I'm at least going to look into it, right? Well, friends, when such a man comes from heaven and demonstrates in so many ways, he says, at least believe on the signs, right? So many people recording such signal miracles. You should at least consider carefully whether this man could be just what he said he was and hear from him God's diagnosis of you and me and every natural human being born into the earth. As he says, look, you need to be reconciled to God. And you need to know the way. And you need the truth. And you need life eternal. And that's me. You're in a dangerous condition. You need help from outside yourself. You need to hear a radical diagnosis. You need Jesus. We're not talking about a quest for comfort or hope, or a moral life, or positive feelings, or inspiration. Peter says, there is, no, there is salvation in no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus could make such a claim, and he has made it. So in conclusion, stop and consider. If, if, if God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who made you, the God of pure holiness, of exact justice of perfect goodness, the God of love and mercy, in order to save us from our sins, came into this world incognito, unrecognized, in order to suffer and die and accomplish our salvation, in order to do for us which we were helpless to do, that he might reconcile us and restore us to fellowship with him forever. Cleanse our consciences, renew our spirits, for eternal life, I don't care what the culture thinks. If God did that, surely that is good news. Wonderful news. Shout from the housetop news. Thrilling news. That this God should be so kind to us, so generous, so ready to make terrible sacrifices for our sake and to redeem us and restore us. That is good news. That this God, who will someday stand in judgment over the world and every human life, should himself give his own life to overcome our sin and guilt as a man, to reconcile us to himself. That is the greatest news ever told. And as much as it's difficult to say, especially in a postmodern world, at least in the modern world, they expected you to have your opinions. In the postmodern world, they expect you not to have opinions. But nevertheless, George Orwell said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. And he was right. I mean, he's, the world says, he said, the world hates me because I testify that his deeds are evil. He spoke the truth. And they will hate Christians who follow him and do the same. Jesus says, in the very next chapter of John, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. That's why it needs to be spoken.
George Orwell also said, during times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. And what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is that Christians are the great, original, supreme revolutionaries. Revolutionaries surely in a post-truth hate speech society. As we speak the truth in love and know that ultimately truth and love will triumph over all lie and hate, we say, vive la revolution. Long live the revolution in Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you are the only Savior, and how we thank you that you are our Savior. You have loved us and given yourself for us, and to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life. Reveal yourself more and more to us. We would know you more, and to know you is to love you. We pray, our Father, that these words, these great and terrible words, would inspire your people with a new hope and joy and bring some today even to eternal life. As they say, it is right. The way, the truth, the life. It is what we need. Reconcile us. Bring us to yourself, O oh Father.